thank you. And I, I'm honored to be here. And just as you were um, Marilyn, a soft place for Caroline to land, she did the same thing for me my early days of my grief, and I'm forever grateful. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd like to start just um, with with uh, a brief part of a, a verse, because I, I don't know who's listening or will be listening. And instead of waiting until the end to talk about hope, um, John 28, 30, the beginning says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And let me tell you, those words and other verses, I just hung on every word um, in the early days and still do today in the hopes of uh, seeing my son again and knowing that he was okay. So I just wanted to share that. Um, yeah. Um, and I also heard Marilyn mentioned the word stigma, which, which stood out to me, you mentioned it in regards to people seeking therapy and feeling comfortable doing that. And it is just to me, I'm, I'm very much about therapy. I think everybody should be in it lifelong. I think it's great. Um, uh, but not everybody is there and people that I know, you know, you think in the 21st century, We've come further along and can be comfortable with that, but you're right. Um, not everybody is. And um, when you mention stigma, it, it's even more so a word that we use in my community of uh, children or loved ones who were lost through, I call it the disease of addiction, because a lot of people um, think, oh, well, you know, it's not like your child got cancer. It's not like your child was in a car accident. Um, they chose to take something. And the truth is that it is a disease. And my son actually was given uh, poison, uh, fentanyl, and that's what took his life. And when we look at what's going on today um, and all of the fentanyl that's coming in over the border and in other ways, um, in the past couple of years, I've, I have to tell you, it's be because of that, because of so many deaths, it's actually beginning to, I believe, become less of a stigma. But um, in terms of, of talking about grief and having places to go, um, I've been on, again, many journeys to get there, and I would be happy to share them with you. Um, in the first days, of course, uh, I had what's called suicide ideation. And for anybody that's not familiar with that, and I'm not a therapist, but I will just say, um, it's not when you want to take your life. And when I went to a therapist, they kept asking me, are you okay? Are you planning on hurting yourself? It's not that, it's that you have these wishes of not being here anymore. And so, um, not that you would do anything to bodily harm yourself, uh, but that you just wanted it to end. You wanted the pain to end. And so I can remember uh, the summer I lost Michael on Thanksgiving Day 2016. And that summer I worked uh, 
in the uh, summer school. And I was working with younger children because I taught high school um, students. And I remember imagining with all these people coming in to buildings and hurting children, I imagined that I had to save them. So I shielded them. And I not, not only became a hero, but I got to get to heaven to be with my son. So I had many experiences like that. And I did jump into therapy. When I talk about um, what worked and what didn't work, I, I will say that um, spending too much time on Facebook and other social media to uh, hear about other people that had lost children from this disease, it became very overwhelming for me. And I, I liken it to listening to the news today. You know, after a while, you have to turn it off. And I remember 9-11, my husband was, is a carpenter and was working in the garage. And when it happened, it was on 24-7 because we see television 24-7. And it was really affecting his, his his state of mind and we had to turn it off. And, and I, I, I experienced something similar um, by going on to these sites because of course I wanted to feel as though I was not alone. And so you would just grab onto anything and anyone who could say to you, you know, I've been there too, right? I'm not, I'm not alone, but it got really depressing. And, um, I don't. I I suppose that in that moment it was good because there's all different ways that we um, that we grieve, and in the beginning um, there there's a a woman. I've done so many things, but there's a woman who wrote a book. She lost her son, and she wrote a book and had a, a program uh, called Crazy Good Grief, and I just started re-listening to her course. Uh, that she taught. And one of the things she said about grief, I like the way this is put, and I'll, I'll share a couple of different quotes, but this one is, grief is a bonfire full of energy and heat. It can be a roaring bonfire that lights up an entire community, or it could be as subtle as a lighter at a concert. At a concert. But what fuels the fire, of course, is love. Grief is always going to be a part of my life and the life of anyone who has lost. Um, it's not, though, and again, for hope for people that might be listening, it's not always going to be this bonfire raging out of control. It'll be there because the fire is fueled by love, but it's not always going to be this painful. And I, I think about a physical fall, you know, whether you scrape your knee or you break your hip, um, the pain is pretty enormous in the beginning, isn't it? But uh, our, our bodies are made to heal. And so after time, uh, we might see the scars, right, of that fall or that hip surgery, but we're not going to feel that pain in, in the same way. Um, Please share. I can go on and on. So please share anything that's on your mind. Um, to, to understand grief, I think it was um, a snowboarder. And I don't know what the, her grief was, a, a, a girl, um, Jamie Anderson. She said, and I keep this all the time and I always go back to it. She said, I've learned grief is really love. It's all the love you want to give, but cannot give. The more you love someone, the more you grieve. All of that unspent love gathers up in the corner of your eyes, the lump in your throat and the hollow part of your chest. And it turns into sadness when it's unspent. And so I think um, the key here is to, to spend that love, right? To use that love, to love that person every day in different ways, though it was so terribly painful for me. Um, I didn't know that I could do that, as I said. And 
my mother, the, the police, my mother was morbidly obese and they had to wheel her, get her into my house. And I just bent down at her lap and said, mommy, how am I going to live without my boy? How am I going to do it? Um, there were days, and Caroline can tell you, when I could not get off the floor of the bathroom of school, when she and friends had to scrape me off the ground and get me there. And so um, get me up to, to, to teach. And so this, that summer, I guess it was eight months later, I had gone to therapy and they knew I was in a very bad place. Uh, I was on an antidepressant, but I was still in a very bad place. And so this wonderful therapist recommended a place in Tucson, Arizona, um, Arizona. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it's changed owners, but it was a place, it was a rehab, interestingly enough. And it was for um, people who had been experiencing different types of, of um, diseases of addiction. But there was also, for me, a trauma center area. And so those of us who had experienced some kind of trauma or loss, one was a police officer who was in the these terrible fires trying to save people and um, and couldn't, all types of trauma, right? We've all experienced trauma in, in some way. And um, this place was the beginning of my experience with mindfulness and with learning how to breathe. But I just want to say before I talk about that, always first and foremost has been my faith and continues to be my faith. And I know that some people who experience this could go either way, right? Could go either way. It's either grow stronger or you say, where where were you, Lord? Why, you know, I'm, I'm angry with you, which is certainly okay for us to cry out to him. He expects that um, and understands our pain and understands loss. Um, mine was, and my husband's, where our faith grew stronger. I will say that I don't think I would be here today um, and in my day-to-day -day life um, bold enough to talk about Jesus on a regular basis and talk to a friend who's not a believer and said, who says I'm having a bad day. And I, I say, okay, let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. I don't think I would be there in my journey. So I will say that um, having a, a group uh, we've been together for 20 years. Every month, a marriage group gets together. Of course, I have my church. I have my Bible studies. We read a book. Our group chooses different books. And for me and for my husband, we read this wonderful book that I think might be on my shelf. It's called, um, Re I don't see it at the moment, Revealing the Mysteries of Heaven by David Jeremiah. I love David Jeremiah. Um, we're, we're listening to one on the end times now. Very interesting, but it gave me such solace. And I remember going to my pastor and saying, I was so scared. And again, this is for me. This is not everybody's story. This is mine. And we don't know. I, I knew that my son, at, you know, when he was in vacation Bible school, accepted Christ, but he wasn't following it. I knew he believed wasn't following and when i don't have the verse with me but when my pastor told me about how when you accept christ christ you are sealed um i was i took such a deep sigh there was a relief there and again for anybody who might be listening and has a faith and doesn't know if their loved one did we don't know i will tell you this we have no idea what goes on between a person who's going to their last breath and Jesus Christ. We don't know, and we can't say that we do. And so I, I have hope in that, not just for my son, but for, for many. And uh, that's not the whole grief story I have here, of course, but I really felt um, that I needed to share that with you. Um, a group, 
a group that I went to once or twice and didn't stay with was a group that met every other Wednesday. And it was, again, uh, families who had lost loved ones from the disease of addiction. And we'd go around the room with pictures of our loved ones and talk about what we're going through. And it wasn't for me. I found it depressing again. Um, so I ended up someone at church who lost two children, two of her children, uh, learned about me and told me about a, a faith-based grief group called Grief Share, which anybody can find online, G-R-I-E-F and capital S-H-A-R-E. And um, there's a, a video that you watch each week and then a discussion. And in that video, um, both lay people and experts um, in, in the faith talk and and psychologists talk about a different topic of, of grief, um, whether it's uh, denial, what to do over the holiday, how do you handle the holidays? I mean, every topic possible. Um, and I found such comfort in that. I went through it twice. I think maybe there are 13 sessions. I don't remember. And then a friend of mine, a friend and I, another one who lost her, her daughter, we were starting a group for people that had lost the way we did. We didn't stay with it because um, COVID started. My friend didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to do it anymore alone. I didn't want to do it alone. And once again, I found that talking about it all the time wasn't working for me. Now, I have a, a friend whose friend's a son took his life 20 years ago, and she is the first person to go to the schools and to go to the homes. And I said, boy, she must have to do a lot of heavy duty breathing before and after, because I don't care how long ago it was. It feels like yesterday. I remember I, in talking about the things that that I did do that worked for me, I, I just mentioned quickly, um, spending too much time on, on social media was not good for me. Um, going out and doing things, I sometimes did too much, like eating, eating poorly, eating obsessively, spending obsessively didn't work. Joining a non-faith-based group did not work for me. Um, trying to do something immediately. You want to keep your loved one alive. You feel that you need to honor them in some way. So I talked to a parent about starting a baseball group because my son loved baseball and I wanted to start a camp where people learned, young people learned how to cope with life and frustrations because that was my son from an early age. He was always very frustrated. We spotted it at two and a half years old. We tried so many different things, but they just weren't available to us, the right things for him. So I said, I'm going to start this and I'm going to do this mindfulness and I'm going to. And then I realized, well, I don't like baseball. He liked baseball, but I'm not really into baseball. Right. And so then our friends were doing um, it's something called air. And it stands for alumni in recovery. And I went to some of the training and what they do is a lot of the young people who have uh, had these addictions, go to schools and talk to young people, parents go and talk about their loss. Um, I was there to consider it. Didn't want to do it. Now, when I was away at Sierra Tucson, I had to, that was one of the things I had to do. Um, I had to speak on it and, and uh, show a video and all these pictures of my son and I did it. And uh, some person said it helped them and I just fell to the floor and I, it was just too much for me. Um, but I was hoping that I helped someone. Anyway, um, I learned that you, you have to follow your own, your own heart and do what's good for you. And I realized that long time ago, of course, that we all have different gifts. The Lord has given us gifts and we need to tap into them. We need to be silent. 
We need to be with him. We need to be in his word. We need to learn what those gifts are. And I think, like Caroline, you know what your gifts are. You know, and, and what's so beautiful is that you run with them. <laughs> yes. Um, well, first, let me say that um, Michael Anthony was my miracle child. Um, my I had endometriosis and uh, I had years of infertility. Um, for anybody that knows what it is, adenomyosis or endometriosis, it's all, all the adenomyosis is the the scar tissue growing inside the uterus. So from age twelve, I had hellish. Uh, periods and um no one knew what was wrong and i said go doctors said go on the pill etc and it turned out to be endometriosis and by that time i had had my first miscarriage and um uh was going to specialists and found out that my eggs weren't worthy <laughs> for children and so my sister who shares a mother with me not a father she offered to give me her eggs so uh, this was 30 years ago, 31 years ago. So um, they implanted, uh, they, they got eight eggs out of, out of that and they implanted four in my uterus. Michael was born and 
Two years later, they implanted four more and my Jake was born. Um, my, uh, of course, the, all I did was cry and from happiness and happy tears and truly they were my miracle children. So um, the earliest time, as I said earlier, that, that, that we noticed something was about two and a half, three, that he became very frustrated very easily. Things uh, bothered him also, clothing tags and things like that, but very frustrated. Um, if I may say, if we look at, you know, nature versus nurture and what, you know, could be the cause of things, we don't know for sure. I do it's probably half and half. He had a very loving home, maybe not perfect, but a very loving home. Um, my sister, um, my my husband's side of the family, they uh, some of them struggled with um, alcoholism and depression. Um, on my side of the family, we had anxiety, uh, depression, um, bipolar, a lot of different things. And uh, that all comes into play in terms of who he was and what happened. Uh, as he became an, an adolescent and, and early teens, he started getting in a lot of trouble. But you know, I didn't know what was going on, what he was, what he was doing. It's easy to keep it all a secret. And by the time he was a freshman in high, I'm sorry, uh, junior high school, he got into big trouble and got kicked out. And we tried to get him in a Christian school and it didn't matter. And then uh, in ninth grade, he went back to the high school, got in a lot of trouble and uh, we had to send him away to a school. So it, it, I cried every day, couldn't talk to him, but once a week. And um, it was, again, when this, deciding on, on talking today, and I really had to pray about it because bringing it up is bringing up, obviously, all the pain. Such a smart kid at his memorial, his friends said he was always the smartest kid in the room. Um, maybe maybe to a fault, right? Um really proved himself and got into a really good school and um, very loving, loved children, loved baseball, um, had a very uh, funny and caustic side um, that we miss very much. At the time, it would drive me crazy, but that we miss very much. Um, went away to school in Maryland, and that's where he got into, you know, the... Um, uh, what was it? He said to me finally one day, uh, opioids, um, took him to rehab and, you know, there's the story Then it ended, it ended, um, lover, a lover loved girls, loved women. His friends said he'd always, you know, stick up for them. He was just, uh, he was tough. He was tough to deal with because you said white, he said black. Oh my gosh, he should have been a lawyer or whatever. But um, my other son just got married in Italy two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Thank you. And I have a little video, I don't know if I sent it to you, of him speaking about his brother. And he hadn't really talked about it in seven years and told everybody, uh, you know, he was his best friend and all that. And uh, I broke down the night before and I still have, you know, it's interesting what we say. I remember seeing a picture of what grief looks like and they, sh they say grief is not one straight line. And then they show this picture of this jumbled ball of yarn, right? Just a mess. You just can't put it together no matter, no matter how you try. And uh, that's what I experienced. So the night, if a week, if something's going on or his birthday's coming up or right before the wedding, I mean, I break down and I do a guttural, ugly person's cry where you can't stop me. It happened two weeks ago. It doesn't matter. It's there. And again, it's, it's all that love. It's all that love with no place to go. So it's come. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's certainly a lot more to, to him than that, but I did want to say something, Caroline, you had mentioned, um, what you, the timing, and it's so true that you have to be ready. And you also mentioned that one of the things that you did was you, you found your alone space and you did some writing. And so in all of the things that I, that I do recommend, 
Um, if you're already a creative person, and I don't draw creative, but I know I am just like you, Caroline, um, you have to find a creative outlet. So what I did was I listened to a lot of Christian music, um, Casting Crowns and Mercy Me, and just some beautiful, beautiful stuff for me, contemporary. I um, took a few singing lessons, which I had done right out of high school, too, because I, I needed to get it out. I still want to do that. I needed to scream and cry, and the song and song helped that. Um, I certainly recommend that. Uh, and the other thing is that I, I journaled. So the same thing I did when I had my five years of infertility, I could write a book. I journaled it. Well, I did the same thing here. And one of the things I did was I, I dated it so that I could go back and look at where I was a year before and say, you know, sometimes I said, oh, wow, that's better. Or I said, what, you're still, you're still crying like that? And I actually have pictures of me I can show you. I put them on a PowerPoint of my ugly crying so that I could sometimes, you know what? You know what? Sometimes, you know why I did it? I wanted to send it to my 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 four sisters. I had to let them know my pain. And so I'd send them a picture or a video of me crying because they couldn't help me, but I needed for them to know. I needed those people close to me to, I had to put it somewhere, right? Mm Well, for, for my immediate family, which is my husband, my my son, Jake, and my dog, Ollie. Ollie was, would jump up on me every time I cried and wouldn't let me be alone. Um, I got a call a couple of years ago from a, a friend uh, in, my, in my marriage group who uh, her friend lost her son too, same way. And she wanted me to reach out to her they were having struggles in their marriage and they're both Christians and they ended up getting a divorce. And this happens. You end up, you don't know what to do. So you blame one another. And I will say for me that my husband and I clung on to each other for dear life. And so we just got closer. We've been married 41 years. I know I'm 51 years, but, and Hasn't been a perfect marriage. She's the love of my life, but you know, you know life, right? We know life. Um, my son Jake and everybody again experiences uh grief or expresses their grief differently. And he wouldn't. He he went away to Germany um to study abroad <clears throat> a few months after we lost Michael. <clears throat> and I think it was his girlfriend who's now his wife. Um, sent me, you know, some things that he said. He he had a dream about his brother. He cried about his brother. He felt better. Um, he would often, we would often hug, and I would cry and say, "I miss him. I need him. I mean, I need a hug. I need a hug. I miss Michael." And uh, he would too. But we we made sure. I was glad he went away because I didn't want him to to have to, you know, take on my pain as well as his own. It's his only sibling, and I'm sure. Uh, as he said to everybody, he said, I stole away for a couple of days because of how he's feeling. I can't know how he's feeling. I don't know what it's like to lose a sibling, right? Every loss is different. Not only is every loss different, but the way we lose a loved one is different. If you lost someone to suicide versus a car accident versus a slow, painful cancer, I mean, it's all different, right? Taking care of your mother with Alzheimer's, it's different. Yeah. And so we we have to grieve differently and work on healing in a different way because of that. So um, to this day, uh, my husband and I can certainly say 
I'm having a Michael day or how I'm feeling. And we understand Michael, Jake was saying at his, the speech that he at least has his wife now that understands, you know, that he can go to not that understands the law. Yeah. Um, he also has in her family, uh, two boys and a brother-in-law. So to me, they're his new brothers. And I'm so thankful for that because he really, really needs that. Um, he didn't get closer to God. He's not sure what he believes. Everybody's different. My extended family, it's interesting because my sisters were always there for me, except for one who can't handle any kind of crisis. Uh, I mean, she was there in other ways. I shouldn't say she wasn't there. They were here for me, certainly in the beginning and do, would do anything I needed. I meant emotionally. So let me, let me make that clear. We all can give in different ways, um, but they don't know. I mean, it has an effect them. You know, they say they think of them all the time. It's not the same. It's just not the same. You lose your child or you lose your nephew. It's just a totally different experience. So um, I'm not sure how to answer that question, but I think it would be interesting to ask them, is there a greater fear of loss? I know that when I first lost uh, Michael, I had such a fear of losing Jake. And I know this is common. And he wouldn't tell me when he was coming home. And I said, don't you understand? And to this day, he doesn't get back to me when I text him. And I know I know two, three people that have lost two siblings, uh, two children. So, you know, just because you've had one, I we recently read in the second half of my Bible study last year, we studied the book of Job. And boy, oh boy, did he, did he, get the full gamut of, of loss and pain. And of course we know how he was rewarded in the end and for his faithfulness. But um, just because one terrible thing has happened doesn't mean another doesn't. And there was such a fear there for a long time. And listen, we all get that way from day to day, right? You think you're okay and then you worry. Then you put your trust in God, but you still worry. And you're saying, here, I give it to you, God, and you're grabbing it back. And right? <laughs> yes, I I can and and I and I want to talk about self-compassion as as we talk about mindfulness and being able to um i i was actually learned at sierra tucson how to breathe my way back to life um and and that became my self-care and uh i remember falling to the floor because uh strangely enough when i was talking to that police officer that i told you about who uh, suffered from traumatic stress um, I found out that he was a police officer in Maryland where my son was. Not only that, knock your socks off. I found out that he was the one that found my son. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you wonder, God, what, what, God, what, God, what are you up to? What's going on? I ran out of the room outside, screamed, cried, fell to the floor. And the staff there, they were wonderful. They uh, taught me my first type of um, mindful exercise, which was if you if you care to do it with me. Sure. Uh, there's all different ways to do it, but it's, it's five, four, three, two, one, if I can remember. So um, the first thing is to set your eyes on something right now. You're feeling this high level of stress. You know, you just, you can't even breathe. And you want to lower that stress level, right? You're in flight mode, uh, fight, flight. So certainly I was in the flight mode. And um, you focus on your senses. So the first thing is, 
to just look at one thing right now. Eyes on that and and just just keep it there, just a soft gaze as you begin to feel your shoulders relax a little bit, keep looking at that. And even drop your jaw. And if you feel the top of your tongue, or excuse me, the tongue on the top of the roof of your mouth, just let it drop. And now gently close your eyes. And I want you to touch something that's near you. And just feel the texture. Is it hot or cold or warm? Soft or rough? Just notice what it feels like. Again, as you continue to relax your shoulders and even the rest of your body goes limp. Now I want you to try to listen. You might even hear nothing, but just noticed a sound. Now I'd like you to take it to the sense of smell. And just take a few seconds and you can even smell your shirt if you don't smell anything else around you and just notice how that feels as you inhale that scent. And while you might not be eating anything right now, you probably did earlier, and I want you to just swirl your tongue around in your mouth and just notice what you taste. And cross your teeth. And finally, I'd like you to think about one thing or person, something that makes you feel safe. Get an image of that right now. Might be a certain place, picture it. There might be a person in that place. Notice how that safe place makes you feel. Let's together take a deep breath in through your nose and slowly out through your mouth as you relax those shoulders again. Again, inhale through your nose and exhale as slowly as you can. And just notice the steady rhythm of your breath. And as we close this exercise, remember your breath is your anchor. This place that you imagined or that's real, you can always go back to it. It's there for you anytime you need it. And I wish you peace. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Well, in, in talking about what, well, I'll get to those two things. What did you do for yourself and what are you doing? But I, I do um, want to make sure I mentioned that I, I'm almost, hopefully by December, finished with a, a, an online course in mindfulness so that I can tomorrow, I'm going to listen to a wonderful podcast about how to bring it into schools. So when I said, uh, you know, what what are our 
what are our gifts um and we have to find it says in 1 Peter 4:10 each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms and so uh, when I was saying I didn't want to do this, I didn't want to do that. I'm a teacher for 38 years. I love working with children. I do want to help children manage their emotions before it gets to the point where they they have to medicate. And so um, it's been a long time coming, but uh, I believe that that will be the gift, um, among other things that I can that I can offer. Um, in terms of self compassion. You mentioned so so taking the singing lessons, working out, taking a dance class. I mean, I try it all because I love it all. Uh, those are things you do for yourself. Uh, I got the most wonderful, simple gift from my cousin who lost her child from suicide, um, and it was a lavender uh, oil and um, bubble bath. I have my lavender oil right here. Can you want to take a little whiff? There it is. Oh, wonderful. Um, and I would give myself baths and and um and take care of myself that way. Um and I I think that the woman that I told you about that I that I was I taking her course, um, she mentioned that we can go from um post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic growth. And she offers the five cornerstones, Paula, I have to remember her last name, five cornerstones of post-traumatic growth. And just very briefly, without going into detail about them, one is being open to new opportunities, right? No, I can't do that. I would never do that. Now is the time, right? We're living in this moment. Being mindful is, is not looking at the past, not worrying about the future, but being right here in this moment now, because that's all we have, right? That's all any of us has is now. Um, number two is learning how to feel a deeper intimacy in both the current relationships we have and the relationships that we will have. I have met some wonderful people through, uh, Pickleball, which I've been doing, love, love, love. Just when you, when you, when you need love, and and part of the compassion and doing for self for me was getting lots of hugs, and we know that um, the, the science shows that hugs do build our endorphins. And so we grab somebody, right? And you do that, Caroline. <laughs> and we hold on to them there's also a study that says that going back to the journaling i was talking about studies show that people that journal um heal heal faster number three um you you end up having with number two the the compassion or being with other people you end up through this loss right you have that um sisterhood that that humanhood you have that deeper connection now with people and you're not afraid, right? Just like I'm not afraid to talk about Jesus Christ. You're not afraid to show that love, right? You, you, um, you, you earn, you yearn for it. You yearn for it. And so if you are yearning for it, so is somebody else, right? So that's what we're here. We're here, we're here for love. Um, her third in terms of post-traumatic growth, is feeling a profound interest in our own efficacy. And when we say efficacy, it's what can we do? You believe that you can prefer, perform a certain task, that you can do it. Not, oh, no, not me. I could never speak in public. Or no, I can't do that. But that belief in yourself, that self-compassion, that self-love, right? God did make no junk. Yesterday, I said, Pot, I, I did a, a a a session on um positive affirmations with my my daughter in love I call her and my and uh, another another young girl and so it's believing in yourself right if the Lord certainly believes in you um he made you to be that special person you can too fourth was um and you know this happens our gratitude increases 
the way we get over the post-traumatic growth is to increase our gratitude. And so I remember somebody said in this, you can't in the same breath complain and have gratitude. There's no room for both, right? Yeah. So if you're feeling horrible, get say, okay, but, and you just count all those wonderful things or, or you write them down. And um, I'm sure both of you agree with me on this. We, we, the fifth way for post-traumatic growth is to deepen our spirituality. And for everybody, that's different. You know, we're talking here about Jesus Christ. For everybody, that spirituality is different. You don't need to believe, right? What, what the next person believes, but there to, to know that there is something greater than ourselves, right? I think it changes, it changes us. It has to. Um, and of course, to know that, that we are, that we are not alone, that we are not alone. Um, yeah. Love yourself. Give yourself a break. When somebody says, oh, it's been that many years and you're still get, give yourself a break. It's lifelong. As long as I, the more you love someone, I couldn't love my child anymore than anybody, the more I'm going to grieve and that's okay. Cut yourself a break. Love yourself. Give yourself a hug. Let's do that right now. Do you care to hug? Give yourself that hug. appreciate that caroline because you know it's so easy for us to in this world with listening to the news and people are far away or it didn't happen to us just say you know i, I i'm going to say a quick prayer for that person and let it go um but we do need to because we certainly don't know even the person next to us we can't know their thoughts we can't know what anybody's going through all we can do we can ask questions um, and we can just, you know, be there and pray for them. That's a very interesting question because for a long time, I couldn't even say the word death. Couldn't say it, not until maybe a year ago. Um, so I always said he was taken or, or to be with the Lord. But um, I will say, and again, it's in scripture and my pastor spoke and it's in the book. It says absent from the body, present with the Lord. So I knew that immediately in that last breath, I didn't have to worry. In that last breath he took, he was there instantly. He is not in a body yet. He is not. And that's strange. And that's really hard to imagine. But that's how I remember him, right? Because I'm living on earth. I'm not living in heaven. Um, and so I often really just say, my he went to be with the Lord and uh, my son in heaven. Um, when somebody, I used to say, what if somebody asked me, and it always happens, you talk about your kids, how many kids do you have? And I, I I don't want them to be upset. I have, I said, I have one child who would be 30. He's in heaven. He's with the Lord. And I have another son who's, who's 20, 
eight, I was going to say 28 years old. And, uh, you know, you just, it's just part of life. Does that answer? Oh. Wonderful to meet you. Yeah, all of us, yes. <laughs> and the drama, we still have to do the drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Beautiful. That's just what, Marilyn? What? What's one thing? Great. Well, you said you're in Florida. Oh, pickleball is big in Florida, Marilyn. <laughs> it's so much fun and it's a wonderful community. Oh, no, we've got people in their 80s playing. I will never again look at a gray-haired 80-year-old and think they can't play. What? Boy, did they show me a thing or two. Good, good. <laughs> 